to another episode of the Mixed Witches Podcast. By the time this comes out, it'll already be two weeks into July, which, what the fuck? But okay. Oh, well, it'll be a week into, into July because the first episode comes out on July 1st and then this one will come out on July 8th. So either way, we're already steeped in July and Ryan... <laughs> Ryan is steeped. She is steaming currently. <laughs> I literally, this heat wave can't. <laughs> and I'm just waiting for these thunderstorms to hit instead. So, <laughs> like, it was supposed to rain all weekend this weekend, and then it didn't. And now it's saying it's supposed to rain all weekend next weekend. So, we'll see, I guess. Hopefully not. I'd rather it rain over the week, but, you know, the weather doesn't take my advice. <laughs> yeah, don't listen to you. It said, what that bitch want? I don't care. <laughs> the weather literally goes, did I ask? Did I ask? No, I didn't ask for your fucking opinion. It's like, oh, angry. <laughs> angry. Anyway. So what do you bring us this time? I am talking about dream interpretation this week because this is something that we've talked about pretty often. Like, we bring it up pretty often, but we've never just talked about it, like, in depth. Right. So, that's what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about dream interpretation. I'm talking about your dreams. <laughs> yes. So why are dreams such a popular subject? When it comes to witchcraft, why are they important to us? Because they are important as witches. And they should be important to you as a witch. Um, sometimes your dreams can be like a data dump. But I've kind of thrown out that line of thinking for the most part now. As I've gotten further and further along in my journey as a witch. So your dreams are a window to your subconscious. And if... Hold on. I can't read, apparently. They're a window to your subconscious and are an avid lane for communications between you and spirits or deities, the universe, and even the living and the dead. So, it's your, your dreams can be very, very important. <laughs> and you need to see them as such. Because if somebody's trying to contact you through your dreams and you don't understand what the fuck they're saying, they're just going to continue to do the thing and you're going to continue there, continue sitting there like, what the fuck is going on? Why do I keep dreaming about mermaids? Who knows? Oh my god. <laughs> um, something else that I saw is that you can enter, you can enter other worlds and into different states of consciousness through your dreams, which seems obvious, like, 
you're going from being conscious to unconscious when you dream, but you get it. There's multiple states of consciousness that aren't just conscious and unconscious. There's a reason witches are so obsessed with meditation and dreaming. Yeah. So recognizing patterns in your dreams and reoccurring symbols can be really important for many reasons and in many ways. Hints to your path, your spirit team, uh, your past lives could be trying to get your attention through your dreams. Your dreams don't have to be important to you. Look, hold on. That's not what I meant. You don't have to be a lucid dreamer or even a very vivid dreamer for your dreams to work for you. So I've always been a vivid dreamer, but I know some people who, like, their dreams are very just boring. I've met some people who dream about their daily life, and I feel so bad for them. <laughs> That's just boring. And there's a reason behind that, and I can't remember the reason. Like, there's a specific reason when you're dreaming about day-to-day -day life. And it's, if I remember correctly, it has to do with the fact that something needs to change. Like, your subconscious, your spirit guides, whoever, is trying to tell you you need to change something in your life. Or it's going to just continue the way that it is. And you're never going to get fucking anywhere. Damn. So some I literally never dreamed about my day-to-day -day life. Not in that context. Like I've had, obviously, I have people and shit. Like, I've never dreamt as if I was, like, awake and just doing regular-ass shit. That sounds sad. I've had dreams where it played a role, but they always changed. Like, I remember there was one time I was... They, like, I remembered I was dreaming, and I was on the deck of the carrier, and um, I think there was, like, a jet blast or a, a really strong gust of wind or something, and I got knocked off the side of the boat oh. and fell into the water. But, like, the deck was not the same as it usually would be in the day, so... I've dreamed of aspects of my day to day life, but I've never dreamed of like a full day just going step by step by step because that just seems horrible and I feel like I would wake up and just want to shoot myself, to be honest. I mean, unless you like your everyday life. Fair. Well, you're living it twice and you're just like, yes, perfect. My dream <laughs> life. <laughs> yes. What would be interesting, though, is if you were having dreams like that, but you were lucid dreaming, and you let them play out, but you were, like, testing out certain um, outcomes in your dream before the next day. So you would, like, test and see what getting this type of sandwich versus this type of sandwich would be like in your day-to-day -day life. And then if it worked out well, you would do it the next day. And if it didn't, you wouldn't do it. That'd be an interesting way of using something like that. Still sounds boring, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like making lemon lemonade out of lemons kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so some purposes for your dreams, like some purposes of why you dream. 
um, or that you can use your dreams. Uh, you can use it to predict the future, which is rare but possible. Uh, you can use it for healing and closure from events that happen to you, for divine guidance, for purging subconscious feel, feels, fears, probably feels too, but fears. Feels, yeah. <laughs> um, clearing. That too. <laughs> you can also use them for clearing karmic debts beyond this life. So anything that's coming through from a past life, maybe. For manifestation and for seeing your past lives. This is going to be a really short topic, but anyway. I'm not going to go into every single different dream meaning because anything in your dreams can mean something to you. Uh Something that's important to you that you see in your dream might just be passing in my dream. So when it comes to dream meanings, you can look at the general meaning But you also have to think of the context that that thing showed up in because it might change when you combine those those different factors together. So for one of the things that happened in a dream for me recently that is very specific in my head because most of the time when I'm dreaming, I know that I'm dreaming. I just can't affect anything. So I'm like on the very cusp of lucid dreaming, but I can't do anything about it. But one of the things that recently happened to me in a dream was that I was walking somewhere and it started to pour. Like just, it just, it was just a torrential downpour out of nowhere. And instead of walking back to where I had come from, because it was not that far away, I just started running around in the rain and I could feel how cold the rain was on my skin. I could feel my clothes getting soaked. And it was just very, um, like it was just a huge release of emotion because I kind of like screamed into the rain and then I started running around and was just having a good time by myself. (laughs) So for, for me, that was significant. And running in the rain is means like a delightful release of repressed emotions and cleansing yourself from negativity. When you're looking for something special, you've finally found it. Like if you were looking for something special for a while, you finally got it and it's going to help solve future problems. For me, it felt like the first thing because it was just a huge release of emotion and I was just having a good time out in the rain by myself, enjoying the water. (laughs) Another one is rewind. So (laughs) running around in the rain is significant for me, but just there being rain might mean something to somebody else or like the the rain turning the ground into mud might be significant. So you kind of have to pay attention to what pops out to you. So another, another dream meaning is hot air balloons. Uh, they mean feeling of social elevation, popularity, or fame, looking at life in a more positive or confident way, eating honey, which is different from seeing honey, which is different from touching honey. So eating honey means that you will attain wealth and love. 
seeing a fox means you're soon to face challenges in your working life, which that sucks, I'm sorry. But, but also that someone might try to deceive you. Seeing mud in a dream, which would be different from maybe getting stuck in the mud or like your shoe getting sucked off in the mud. Uh, seeing mud in your dream means that you will fight for survival or that you are feeling jeopardized in your working life. Drinking coffee in your dream is an accumulation of positive energy, motivation, or reasons to continue with a project. Seeing a mermaid in your dream signifies the feminine side of a dreamer. Um, also, mystery, vulnerability, beauty, and secretive, a secretive side. So the reason I bring up mermaids is because it has to do with Ryan's dreams recently. <laughs> and this is one of the things um, that comes into your dream interpretation to be specific. So we see this dream meaning. This is what mermaids typically mean in dreams, according to the uh, all these different people. sources, according to people. <laughs> But when we were talking about it, we were like, that doesn't really sound like Ryan. So instead, we took it as meaning somebody was trying to contact her in her dream. And now she's been looking at uh, different deities that can manifest as a mermaid. So that's one way that paying attention to your dreams might be significant. Uh, taking a shower in your dream means that you're looking for a quick and simple solution to a problem. And then a sun shining in a dark sky, which is different from a sun in blue sky or a sun behind clouds. So a sun shining in a dark sky means you want freedom and changes in your life. So as you can tell, as I've been saying this whole time, it you have to pay attention to your dream to symbols that are, seem significant in your dream because some things aren't going to be significant. Like you eating an apple might not be significant if it doesn't feel significant. But some, like a suggestion to start following the pattern of your dreams is to keep a dream journal. You don't have to write down the whole dream, but you want to make sure that you write down everything that stood out to you. So for me, I would write that I ran around in the rain. And for Ryan, she would write down that she's seen mermaids multiple times this week. No, seriously. <laughs> and another thing for me is that I would write down the fact that I've seen a dark-haired, like, dark, curly-haired man in my dreams all week. Like, specifically, I've been interacting with this man in my dreams multiple times this week. So that would be something funny. significant that would go in my dream journal. But what I thought last night when we were talking about it, well, night for me, uh, I remember a long time ago, I saw I saw a dark-haired man a couple of times. Hmm. I completely forgot about it until you said that. And I was like, wow, I had a couple of dreams. Hmm. Suspicious. Hmm. <laughs> Who's trying to contact us? <laughs> Well, considering you have Apollo and I have Hermes and they're both great, I just, that, that's probably that, but. Yeah, when, when I saw 
um, him in the first dream, like, I think it was Monday that I had that dream, the one where he, we were in that library, and he was just paying attention to me, and people were trying to come up to him and talk to him about music, and I, like, just, just all focus on me, and I remember we were talking about, like, spirituality and stuff, I remember having the thought in my dream that Apollo didn't look the way that I've thought of him so far, because when I think Apollo, I think blonde-haired, blue-eyed, or yellow-eyed kind of person. I never really thought dark hair, dark eyes. But it still could work because they're Greek, so they would have dark hair, dark eyes. Well, I, I was thinking this last night. I was like, you know, I bet spirits have comfort zones, like pajamas you know <laughs> yeah I think because well we were talking about Aphrodite right we were like talking about all the ways people interpret her and I'm like but I bet spirits have well, sort of like how the book was saying how they normally manifest it's sort of like these are their comfort skins right these are their PJs <laughs> <laughs> they could come to you in a couple of ways but these are most likely because these feel comfortable but there's still a chance that they could look some other way. Right. That might be his comfort skin. It's maybe not be the way you see him, but it may be the way he wants to be seen. Yeah, like, perceived. They're his sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's, like, he the felt- skin that, that he puts on when he doesn't really want to be recognized. That, too. It's interesting. It's an interesting theory. Sweatpants. That's, it's his sweatpants. It's his sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's his sweatpants skin. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, that's what I have for dream interpretation. So it's important, and if you don't keep a dream journal, which I intermittently keep dream journals, and then I, and then like. I'll go back and read them, and I'll be like, oh, this is so silly. Like, I don't want to keep writing down these silly-ass dreams. But then later, when I haven't been keeping the dream journal, I'll go back and read it, and it'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that dream in vivid detail now. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm just bad at keeping journals in general, so. I don't keep a specific journal anymore. I just put it in my book shadows. That's a good one, too. Because I'm bad about keeping the journal, and then it's never going to get full, so it's like, well... I'm just bad at... I'm just bad at keeping up. Fair. Keeping up with everything. Can't keep up with my own animes. <laughs> Can't keep up with the shows. Like, I didn't even know Fruits Basket had third season. I knew it had a second one. I didn't know its third season had already come out. Anyway, what are you talking about? talking about psychopomps or psychopomps tomato tomato psychopomps feels better that's why i say it but sometimes i'll say psychopomps i'll probably go back and forth Mm. i typically (laughs) say psychopomps so when i talk about that so you already talked about death deities these are basically death deities helpers 
Death babies do the death thing. Uh, they got a lot on their plate. They need help. <laughs> <laughs> so, my sources are sickopops.org. <laughs> and it goes over the whole website. <laughs> uh, Encyclopedia of Spirits by Judica Ills. Or Isles. I don't, I've never met her. Y'all passed her. <laughs> and Wikipedia. So. A sickle pump is a guide whose primary function is to escort souls to the afterlife. The term originates from the Greek words pompous, which is a conductor or guide, and psyche, which is breath, life, soul, or mind. An important distinction to make that psychopomp is not necessarily a rule of the plan of the dead, although death spirits can also be psychopomps. But rather, they are guides who take you from, from the gosh, words. <laughs> rather, they are guides who take from one realm to the other. So I do have some death gods here because some gods just do the job themselves. They don't need a helper. They'll just come collect you. <laughs> but not all of them do that. And honestly, we don't want them to. Psychopomps tend to be benevolent. Death gods and like rulers of the underworld, they're hit or miss. <laughs> So, deceased friends or family and animals can be psychopomps. Such as, like, bees can, are considered psychopomps. And sometimes owls. But my focus today is on spirits. In some cultures, your friends or your family or your ancestors will come get you. But this is just spirits today. And many cultures, such, a, such as ancient Greeks and ancient Egyptians, have many spirits who perform the role of a psychopomp. And we don't have time for all that. We've only listed a few. Otherwise, we'll be here all fucking day. So, most psychopomps throughout time do not bestow death upon a person. They just get you after you've already died and take you where you need to go. But some psychopomps will take your life and take your soul. So they will do the coup de grace. But those are few, not all of them. I'm also only going to talk about these spirits' roles as psychopomps because many of these spirits have a vast array of power and jobs pertaining to the universe, but that's not the topic for today. <laughs> so I will tell you a bit about the psychopomp and the ways they manifest so you know how they appear in case they reach you, or you petition them for guidance between realms if you're a shaman. Because if that is the case, they will visit you when you meditate or in your dream to take you to the next realm, and you won't even know what they look like. You're welcome. <laughs> so, the first god on the docket is Agni. He is the Hindu god of fire. Agni literally translates to fire. 
and he is fire. The flick of fire on your candle, fire in your fireplace, that he is there in your house. Souls of the deceased are believed to ascend with smoke from funeral pyres, hence the ancient preference of many Indo-European peoples for cremation as opposed to burial. Let me take a second to look at this word. According to Atharva Veda, it is Agni that conveys the soul of the dead from pyre to be reborn in the next world or life. However, this role was in Pope Vedic text, subsumed in the role of God Yam. Agni is fire. He is also lightning and the sun. He will also manifest in the form of a three-legged, two-headed, or even three-headed man. He has seven tongues of flame, two to seven arms. He is red. Sometimes just his face, sometimes his whole body. His eyes and his hair are black. His face shines from sacrificial butter smeared on it. His mount is a ram, or sometimes a rhinoceros. He may be holding prayer beads. He may have a garland of fruit or flowers around his neck. If not Agni, then the Lord Yama who is the Hindu and Buddhist deity of death, dharma, the south direction, and the underworld of Hindu and Buddhist traditions, will take you home. He is a lord of death who will come get you. I don't want him to, but I don't think I have a choice. <laughs> if I were Hindu, he didn't ask. <laughs> so Yama lives in the underworld and is one of the oldest deities in the Hindu pantheon. Yama is a deity of justice, and he maintains the Book of Destiny, where individual human lives are recorded. Yama will come to collect souls, carrying a noose or mace, and herd them to his realm, where he will determine how long, must, how long one must remain in hell, quote, quote, and the nature of one's reincarnation. Yama is one of the sacred guardians of the Akashic records and one of the few to have ready access to him. So, if you were in want of reading the Akashic records, he is the person you would need to petition. He is a deity of death who also takes on the role of psychopomp. He may manifest as a dark-complexioned man riding a buffalo with noose in hand, or as a man, the head of a water buffalo. In Chinese interpretation, we have the Hei Bai Wu Chang, which means black and white impermanence. They are subordinates of Yen Lo Wang, known as Yamla, Chinese interpretation of Yama. So, in Hindu, he is Yama. If you go to China, he is Yamla or Yan Lo Wang. The Hebai Wu Chang are in charge of escorting souls of the dead to the underworld. In some instances, the Hebai Wu Chang are represented as a single being instead of two separate beings, and in one form they are known as the Chang Wei, literally, guts of impermanence. Depending on the person it encounters, the Wu Chang Wei can appear as either a fortune deity 
who rewards the person for doing the deeds or a malevolent deity punishes the person for committing evil. As two separate entities, there's a white guard and a black guard. The white guard is commonly portrayed as a fair complexion man dressed in a white robe and wearing a tall hat bearing the Chinese words, become rich upon encountering me, or become lucky upon encountering me, or you have come to. He holds a hand fan in one hand and a fish-shaped shackle or wooden sign in the other hand. He's usually depicted as the taller of the two. The black guard is typically represented as a dark complexion man dressed in a black robe and wearing a hat similar to the one worn by the white guard. The Chinese words on his hat are peace to the world or arresting you right now. He holds a hand fan in one hand and a squared wooden sign in the other hand. The sign bears the word making a clear distinction upon good and evil or reward the good and punishing evil. A long chain is wrapped around one of his arms. Some statues of them take them with ferocious snarls on their faces, long red tongues sticking out of their mouths to scare away evil spirits. However, sometimes they from facial expressions. The white guard will sometimes look friendly and approachable, while the black guard will look stern and fierce. So, in Jewish tradition, the angel of death will... Let me repeat this. In Islamic tradition... Some Jewish traditions I don't want Jewish people to get mad at me, really. I'm trying my best. <laughs> the angel of death is named Azrael, and he is benevolent. Some sycopomps are not benevolent, and some don't give a shit. Azrael is just no nice. He's just a nice guy. He is responsible for transporting the souls of the deceased after death. Both in Islam and Judaism, he is said to hold a scroll concerning the fate of the mortals, recording and erasing the name of men respectively at birth and death. Men here being humans, as in, you know, men, but like, not the gender. You know. You know how to read. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on the perspective and precepts of various religions in which he's a figure, he may also be portrayed as residing in the third heaven, because there may be seven heavens. In the same way, there are various circles of hell, there are various circles of heaven, and Azrael may live in the third. In Islam, he is one of the four archangels and is identified with the Quranic Malak al Muat, which translates sort of as angel of death. In Hebrew, Azrael translates to angel of God or help from God. Alright. And you know how I feel about angel. Let me tell you. The Islamic Book of the Dead describes him with four faces, 4,000 wings, and 70,000 feet. What do you need 4,000 wings for? Eyes and tongues whose number corresponds to the number of men inhabiting the earth. And we know how much that is. There's 7 billion people on the planet. And counting. I'm letting that sink in. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I die, and I get a 
today. By this sick o'clock, I might go back into my body. Be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like, I'd rather just stay here. Thanks. <laughs> like, nah, I don't think I'm going to die. Along with, okay, I have written here, typed here, the um, Islamic or Arabic version of these names. I am going to translate them into, translate them into English because, because, <laughs> along with Gabriel, Michael, and Israfil, who, that is his name, there is no other one, <laughs> Israel is one of the four major archangels in Islam, but as I said, it's called Asmalak Almat, angel of death. He is responsible for taking the souls of the deceased away from the body. Azrael does not act independently, but is only informed by God when time is up to take a soul. According to one Muslim tradition, 40 days before the death of a person approaches, God drops a leaf from a tree below the heavenly throne on which Azrael reads the name of the person he must take with him. He is normally depicted, besides that, he is normally depicted in iconography wearing a black robe. Sort of like how the Grim River wears a black robe. Except he doesn't have a scythe and he's not scary. Other than the everything else I said. <laughs> So, Azrael, for Islam, and the Shekinah, for, for Judaism. Shekinah derives from a root word meaning to dwell or to settle. The Shekinah is the dwelling or settling of a divine presence of God. In some sources, Shekinah represents the feminine attributes of the presence of God. Shekinah being a feminine word in Hebrew. She may be understood in several ways. As the female aspect of the creator, as the Sabbath bride of God, as an independent goddess. In esoteric Judaism, esoteric meaning intended for or likely to be understood by only a small number of people with a specialized knowledge or interest, the Shekinah was the bride of Yahweh, the Jerusalem temple was their home. After the Roman destruction of the temple, the Shekinah separated from her husband and went into exile with her children, Jews of Judea. The Shekinah is now present in the realm and may serve as a sickle bomb. The Shekinah generally appears as a morning dove. The bride dressed in white, especially on Friday nights. As a bereft woman dressed in black, who mourns the destruction of her home and the persecution of her children, and as a joyful, ecstatic woman cloaked in robes woven from, woman, woven from light more vivid So case in point, if you are ethnically Jewish, then you may be visited by Shekinah when it is your time to go. So the Zoroastrian concept of a sickle pump is named Dana, representing insight and revelation. So like consciousness or religion. Zoroastrianism is, it isn't Judaism, but it kind of is. 
do not send me a hateful email for saying that. <laughs> Alternatively, a Diana, besides being a concept, is considered to be a divinity. She is mentioned in a few texts. I'm not going to try and picture these names. There are theories of 17 hymns, supposedly written by Zoroaster himself, that references her. And there are a few texts where it is written that Diana is somehow affiliated with the reward that the faithful will receive in the afterlife. But references to her are brief, leaving much ambiguity on it. In later writings, such as the Ven Vendigod, yes, there are two names, <laughs> describe the concept of a Diana further. The Vendidad portrays Diana as something mystical, guiding good and pure souls over the Chivat Bridge to the House of Song, just Doralashi in Paradise, while the wicked are dragged to the House of Wide, which is a place of She is described as being finely dressed and accompanied by dogs. Very small, very brief, but she exists. Although, hypothetically, I don't know who she tends to take with her. We could all be up for grabs for her. <laughs> <laughs> She's roll up, like, hello, it's time to go. <laughs> so, we want to Anubis, who is the ancient Egyptian god of death, mummification in the afterlife. I would also consider him a god of death who comes to get himself. Osiris rules over the realm of the Anubis does all the work. <laughs> and he does all the work because he will come get you. He will come get you and do everything else. So be nice to him, please. Thank you. Mm -hmm. He must be tired. Honestly. He used to be the king of the underworld, but I can't remember why Osiris took over for him. Or took it from him. Because the Egyptians liked him better. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anubis, also known as Anpu, or Inpu, is the god that invented embodying and mummification. As I said, I'm only focusing on the Stikopomp rule so we're not going to get into Anubis. I'm only going to do the briefness. But if you can Google Anubis, we'll probably talk about him again. I'm sure. So, Anubis presides over the rituals that involve corpse and school. He is the guardian of the door through which the deceased enters the Hall of Judgment, where he then leads the soul to the field of celestial offerings. He presides over the weighing of the heart ritual that determines a bull's fate. He himself places the heart on the scales of justice and personally feeds the souls of those who fail the test to Amit, and she devours them. He supervises the mummification process and the opening of the mouth ceremony, which ensured reanimation re of the soul. Anubis opens the path, allowing spirits and humans to travel between realms. If you have any intention of getting there, you need to, condition, you need to petition Anubis. 
I told you, you heard it here from the horse's mouth. <laughs> you have any intention of going to the Egyptian underworld, I don't know why you want to go. But if you are, Anubis is your guy. He serves as a guide if requested. He knows the date of everyone's death and maybe petition to reveal it. He guards against grave robbing and desecration. And also guards medium should you require his assistance. So if you are a medium, you may also, also for fuck's sake, <laughs> listen, there's more information. I'm going to be tripping. It's fine. <laughs> but if you are a medium, you can also petition Anubis to guard over you. Anubis manifests as a black jackal or hound or a man with a jackal's head. Now, archaeologists have identified Anubis the sacred animal as the Egyptian canid, the African golden wolf. The African wolf was formerly called the African golden jackal until a 2015 genetic analysis updating the taxonomy and the common name of the species. As a result, I'm going to say that Anubis could also manifest as a wolf. Now, traditionally, he is a jackal, so most likely he's going to manifest as a jackal. But I also think it's his choice, whatever he wants to manifest as. So I wouldn't write it off. Also, that's kind of cool. <laughs> he's got wolves. Seems like a lot of people have wolves. There's the, uh, Trust me, you're going to get sick of hearing about dogs. <laughs> <sighs> So, Anubis, as I said, Anubis does a lot more things, but he is the sickle pump. The other one may be the goddess Hathor, but generally speaking, from the Egyptian perspective, Anubis is always going to come get you himself. <laughs> he seems nice. Can I say that? He doesn't seem scary, so I just don't be afraid of that if he won't get you. He doesn't seem like a sickle pump that's like, get in the wagon. He seems like he's like, okay, come on, friend. Unless you were evil and he weighed your heart and then goes, nah, never. We move on to the Olympians, in which we have Hermes. And Hermes is the sickle pump of Olympus. He is the reason the word even exists. There are various other sickle pumps in Greece. In fact, I didn't even want to do this many, because I have more, because it's too many. <laughs> but I kind of let me get away from it, so we have a few. But generally speaking, if anybody's going to come get you, it's going to be Hermes. As messenger of thoughts, Hermes travels between realms with ease, the only deity to ever come to Hades in return. Hence why he gets to be a sickle mom. Sacrifices were made to Hermes on the final day of Greek festival of the dead to ensure that he would escort his souls back to Hades. If a ghost refuses to leave your premises, Hermes may be asked to escort them to a more appropriate place. Hermes traditionally wears a traveler's broad-brimmed hat and sandals. So, if you have a ghost problem, you can ask him. He will take the ghost. Well... You may not take the ghost, but you can ask him. <laughs> we also have Hecate. 
which is the ancient Greek goddess of witchcraft, crossroads, boundaries, and ghosts. She is the other person. Generally speaking, from an ancient Greek perspective, if anybody's going to take you to Hades or to the ferryman to take you to Hades, it is going to either be Hermes or Hecate. Hecate travels between realms and patrols crossroads and boundaries, the same as Hermes. They are both crossroads and boundaries spirits. Now, Hecate owns the ultimate skeleton key, the key that unlocks all the gates to all realms. She is another of the only deities to ever go to Hades and return. If you want to know the third, it's Stephanie, but I feel like you already know that. <laughs> Nobody Stephanie. leaves Hades, except for some people. Except for a choice few. Should you seek counsel with Persephone, Hecate may be able to help with getting the message to her. She serves as an intermediary between spirits and humans. She can banish ghosts or produce a ghost infestation. Don't know why you'd want that one. But if you were trying to spook some people and fill a house full of ghosts, you could ask Hecate. I don't know why she would do that for you. Maybe for a laugh. <laughs> Hecate is an elite level shapeshifter. Her usual manifestations are as a black dog or a mature woman. Hecate in iconography was depicted as a triple goddess. There are two distinct triple goddesses. If you know anything about Wicca, you're going to know triple goddess. But in mythology, there are two. There are Hecate and there's Brige from Celtic mythology. They were usually always depicted in forms of three. That's a fun fact. You didn't need to know that, but... Uh (laughs) (laughs) As such, Hecate will be a mature woman or a sexy maiden or a decrepit decrepit crone. Those Chris. (laughs) She she can manifest as all three. Sort of like maid. You know, mother, crone. She chooses how she wants to be seen by you. She has an occasional mermaid manifestation. She may may wear snake hair. Every once in a while, she appears as a black cat, a snake, or a black dragon. Generally speaking, a dog or a mature woman, if she is a woman, she will have a dog. Or she will be dog-like if there are no dogs, like circling you or doing, that sounds weird, but doing dog-like things. Like how dogs pace. Dogs are very, very important to her. It is her thing. Also, fun fact, Hermes also likes dogs. Generally speaking, I'm going to just say it. We're not even done. If you are, uh, you're going to be visited by a dog when you go. Because that is the one thing that permeates most cultures. Is that a sicko pop will either be a dog or have a dog. So there you go. We already did Anubis and wolves. We already have these two with dogs. So, and now we're about to come up on some more wolves. I don't know. I know it's man's best friend, but, like, why do wolves want to take us down? 
want to drag us down for trying to eliminate them. No, literally. No, they're our friends. They just want to take us to paradise. So, we also have Chiron. And if you know anything about mythology, he is the ferryman to and from Hades for spirits. There is some debate about whether Charon is a true psychopomp because one would need an escort to get to him in the first place. But he is the one who drives the boat to get you to Hades, and I'm not that picky. So, Generally speaking, when you pass away and they do your ritual, Hermes is generally the one who's going to take your soul to the ferryman who is then going to take your soul into Hades. So, Charon carries the deceitfuls along the river Styx to Hades, but only and never not if one has adequate payment. Because Charon is a cranky and merciless spirit who does not work for free. <laughs> he is your Uber to Hades, so you gotta pay that. <laughs> Those lacking a coin to pay for passage are left behind to find their own painfully dangerous route to Hades or to wander in the dark for one who fears whichever comes first. He also only accepts passengers who have received funeral rites. So it's very unfortunate for those who were just married because they didn't get to get on them. Many prefer to know nothing of Charon and tell his senses are required. A shaman seeking round trip travel on his ferry need to cultivate a relationship with him. And I need you to know beforehand that he is a little bit gruff and cranky. So that'll be difficult. <laughs> he may appear as a simple, decrepit, sullen, elderly man, or as a dark winged angel. He may have wolf ears. That seems rather random, but he may have wolf ears. And he rolls up and says, get on the boat. <laughs> so, we also have, those are the three, let me start over, those are the three of ancient Greece. We also have a modern Greek, which is Keros. Because Charon has abandoned his boat and resumed what may have been his original role as angel of death. The name of the realm he rules is Hades. Perhaps he banished Lord Hades, what may have been originally done to him. Or perhaps in Christianity, Keros found a vacancy and decided to reoccupy it. He personally visits the land of the living to kill, collect, and transport the dead. So he is another of a pop that will take your life and then take your soul. He slits his victim's throat, releasing their soul, which he then transports to his realm. He cannot be bribed. If you fear Keros's imminent approach, present pleas and arguments toward his mother to intercede on your behalf, not him or his wife or his children, because they're not hearing it either, only his mother. And she may not even be successful. 
but she will try. He takes different forms, appearing as a sharp-figured, white-haired old man with a severe expression, or a vigorous warrior dressed in black and riding a black stallion. His hair is either black or shining gold. I could see on the wiki, um, they started using the Greeks, used the modern Greek equivalent, the Lord of Death. During the, there was some references to World War II, him being named after some things. So I say modern because I mean modern, but I'm old. <laughs> it's not like 2016. It's <laughs> like old, but like not ancient. Charon got out of the boat. Fuck this. <laughs> Fuck the boat. He, he's had enough of angry passengers. He said, you don't even need the coin. I'm going to just come get you. <laughs> just hold up. I'll be there. Just hold up. You don't have a choice. <laughs> so there's also Karen. With a, with a U instead of an O. The Etruscan spirit of death. The Etruscans lived in Italy before the Romans. The Romans overtook them and then made Rome. So you're welcome. <laughs> History. So, Karun is not a ferryman, but he is a sycophant. He may be an escort who comes to also deliver the death to the person by hitting them over the head with a really big hammer. Just doesn't sound great. <laughs> Caron, Caron, and Caron are presumably the very essentially crossing different cultures, getting them a little bit different names. But you know, the same spirit regardless. Maybe. Or they're all separate. He may appear as an old man with a beard, but sometimes appears youthful. He has a hooked nose, snake-like hair, and wolf ears. Again. His skin is greenish or grayish in hue, and sometimes he has wings. Now, he is usually escorted or escorting Vanth. Vanth is a female demon, or now considered a demon, in the Etruscan underworld that is often accompanied by either additional Vanth figures or by Charon. In general, Vanth is associated with death and the burden of the deceased to the underworld, but in a variety of different ways. She is present in scenes of the moment of death, as well in scenes when the deceased is already fully dead and returning to the underworld. She is depicted as benevolent, in contrast to Karun, who is usually kind of scary. She is usually depicted as a young, vibrant female figure, sometimes in the company of other type figures, sometimes by Karun, sometimes by herself. She's generally looking like a um, like an Artemis type. She kind of has warrior clothes on, mm. like a hunty lady. <laughs> she likes to hunt. <laughs> and like Caprun, she is the figure who assists with the journey of the deceased to the underworld. She's the nice one. He's he not the nice one. He's the one who's going to hit you over the head with a hammer. So, in 
Slavic folklore, mostly Bulgaria and Macedonia, we have the Samovila and the Samovili, and they are woodland fairies. They are venerated outside of Bulgaria and Macedonia, but generally and especially Bulgaria and Macedonia. They are goddesses of thresholds. They serve as both bird fairies and a sycophant. They are there when you are the bird, and they are there to take you away. They were venerated as healing and shamanic spirits. Post Christianity, they developed a malevolent reputation, accused of luring men to their doom and causing death. Now, whether or not they did that at all, because spirits may sometimes. I described it as my dad. I described my dad as a whole, you know, if it quacks, it's a duck. If you say they are that thing, that's might entertain that idea. So they may do that now, but they probably didn't before. <laughs> Which is a general word of advice that they were not malevolent, and they could be now. So be a little bit cautious because I don't think they're happy with their story being changed. So, if any of you have seen Toilet Down Hanako, he describes something like that, that spirits have to follow their stories and not go against it. That is honestly like the way it clicks in my head. I was like, wait, this is an anime, but that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I was like, wait. wait so when their stories change, they change with their stories. I'm like, whether or not that's true, that makes sense. Also, fun fact, for, for you, for you, Jane, I didn't know that Hanukkah was actual mythical tale. Oh. Yes, like, it's from, like, World War Two. like, it's old. That kind of explains the dress, though. Like, I know yeah. he, I know he's, like, a elementary school student. Or middle school student, whatever the fuck he is. But it kind of explains, like, why it looks like period dress, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I did finish watching that, and he died in the 60s and shit, but, like, also, the story itself, she's a bit of a, this is not a, she's not a sick mom, but just for you, it is, like, a bit of a Bloody Mary type thing. Mm. Like, the way it's described in the anime is kind of how you would do it. It's just when she opens the door, she she kills you, so. Oh. Well. <laughs> you knock and she says hello, and then we never see you again. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Some of Lee were not malevolent, but they may or may not be malevolent now. At night, some of Lee manifest as beautiful women. They appear completely human. Or as winged or hooved women. Samovili, who wish to move around during the day, may manifest as weather formations like violent storms or whirlwinds. Their leader is Samovila. Samovila is also the singular form of Samovili. So they're all Samovila. And all together they're Samovili. But Samovila is also their leader. And she is a potent shaman, witch, healer, and shapeshifter. And she also will sometimes be a sycophant. Generally speaking, if you're going to be taken, it's going to be a dog or it's going to be a bird woman. <laughs> I don't make the rules. 
Those are the two things that have permeated everything. Dog or bird woman? Bird woman with dog, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So, we also have Serene. Like her Greek counterpart, Sirens, which I glossed over, but are also sycophants. Serene is a sycophant. Basically, she may have been a siren who flew off to Russia and found new friends and myths and continues to do her job as a sycophant. I don't know why she went to Russia. She got lost, maybe. (laughs) Russia just seems like the most obvious choice, you know? They're already terrifying. She took a turn, and she said, where am I? And then she went, well, it's too late to go back. She just shrugged and said, meh, this is fine. So, Surin serenades the dying. Her song's so beautiful and compelling that those who hear her are oblivious to everything else and die happily and peacefully. Surin does not kill randomly. She is an escort spirit similar to an angel of death. She manifests as a bird with a woman's face. Not a bird woman. In the way she's depicted, full bird, but woman face. Hmm. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. Not a woman with wings. Full bird, woman face. I hate that. like something Russia would do. I hate that. <laughs> the picture I saw kind of looked like a chicken. <laughs> With a woman face. Oh, God. <laughs> so, more bird women. On top of sirens and spirin. There were also swan goddesses, but those were more overarching, and I didn't do those. But them, too. And the Samovila and the Samovili, who may birds or winged. We have Valkyries, and I think we all know what the Valkyrie is. Norse goddesses of death, battle, magic. Valkyries, meaning chooser of the slain, are bird goddesses. Their origins may lie in ancient human goddesses that trickled all the way up to Celtic and Norse mythology became Valkyries. They travel to battlefields and choose who dies and also who survives. Souls of half the dead warriors journey to Freya's Hall, while the other half go to Odin's Hall. So they split them up 50-50, take them both. In Valhalla, they serve Odin's hostesses, serving dead warrior the mead. Valkyries are shamanic goddesses as well, teaching men in rune lore, Valkyrie, and martial arts. Individual Valkyries like Brunhild, Hilda, and Skrun achieved renown and are sometimes venerated separately on their own. Valkyries may enter into sacred marriages with shamans, warriors, and heroes. They manifest as shield maidens, sometimes beautiful, sometimes not beautiful. They also manifest as ravens and swans. They tend to ride wolves. Now, the phrasing they use are horses, but the the 
definitions, you know, interpretation-wise, is they're wolves. They're not horses. They just call them horses. They're like Valkyrie's horses, but they're, that, they're wolves. Or they're bird women. I don't know why you need a mount fly. <laughs> so, more wolves. It's either going to be a dog or it's just going to be a bird person. Or a scary person in a cloak. But I kind of want the bird woman. Personally. So, in Scotland, there is a quinyog. I did look up how to pronounce that. That is the best we're going to get. I did my best to look up everything. Because the second entry... Honestly, besides the baby and stuff, was Chinese. And I was like, wow, we're great. We're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> All these words that I won't be able to say. <laughs> so, a kunyak is a type of Scottish Highland banshee. Her name means weeper. She is normally invisible and foretells death in her clan by lamenting in the night at a waterfall or a lock, or in a glen, or on a mountainside. Unlike the related death portent known as the Bon Shi, or the Bon Ni, because I really want to say it the way it's spelled, and I know better. <laughs> I'm looking at it, I'm like, mm. So, unlike some others, she cannot be approached, she cannot be questioned, and she cannot be made to grant witness. She serves as a stick of for her clans and families. In general, the Konyag is heard, not seen, but she is described as child-sized and wearing a green shawl dress. In Irish folklore, we have a banshee, or a banshee, which means woman of the fairy mound, fairy woman. She is also a spirit who heralds the death of a family member, usually by wailing, weeping, and keening. Individual banshees are attached to very old, elegant Irish families. The banshee is the family's personal escort to the realm of the dead. It is said that only original Irish families have a banshee. So you could be from Ireland, but if you are of Norse blood, or French blood, or British blood, you don't have one. She's picky. <laughs> she does not kill, but awaits death and mourns. The Banshee's many forms include an old woman dressed in green with glowing red eyes and long, wild hair. Red eyes as in she's been crying a lot, not red eyes. Red eyes is in she's crying and weeping for hours and hours and hours. A deathly pale woman dressed in white with long, wild red hair. A beautiful woman veiled in white. A shimmery, silvery woman long, beautifully abundant silver gray hair. A headless woman naked from the waist up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> She is also described to be about anywhere between one foot 
four feet tall. She's a fairy woman. She's little. Or old. <laughs> we also have Menanen here, who is a warrior and king of the world in Irish mythology, who is associated with the sea and often, often, often interpreted as a sea god, usually as a member of the Tuatha Dé Uh Honestly, fairy people in Ireland, Irish fairy people. <laughs> in modern tales, he is said to own a self-navigating boat named Wave Sweeper. I'm glad I had that because I wasn't prepared for that name. <laughs> he has a horse who can course over water as both land. And he has a deadly strength tapping sword on top of a shit ton of other things that are amazing. Now he serves as a sycopomp, figuring to his realm, another lord of an older world who will come get you himself. He won't kill you, though. He just comes to get you and takes you home. His cloak of mist enables him to be invisible when he chooses. He wears a flaming helmet, often envisioned as an older man with long, white hair and beard. He is a master shapeshifter and full of surprises, so be prepared. It is said that his home is the Isle of Man, which is named after him, which may be where the realm of the dead is but that's subject for debate in Britain ancient Britain we have an Anku an Anku is a servant of death in Britain Cornish Welsh and Norman French folklore but mostly Brittany which is now Britain an Anku appears as a man or a skeleton wearing a black robe and a large hat who steals his face, or on occasion, he is simply a shadow. He wields a scythe and is said to sit atop a cart for collecting the dead, or to drive a large black coat built by four black horses and accompanied by two goats figured on foot, who then do the job for him, and he kind of just in the coat, which kicks back. But he's not lazy. So don't get it twisted. <laughs> Sometimes we all need a break. According to one legend, he was the first child of Adam and Eve. Other versions depict Anku as the first dead person of the year, though he is always depicted as a male adult. And the first dead person charged with collecting other souls before they can put back life. Seems kind of screwed up, but whatever <laughs> it means people are clamoring to not be the first to die in an alternate order the cruel prince who met death during a hunting trip and challenged him to see who could kill a black stag first death won the contest and the prince was placed on the earth as a goal for all eternity Sometimes he is depicted as the king of the dead, whose subjects have their own particular paths, along with their sacred tradition. 
There's also a bit of debate that he may have he may be an ancient Celtic death deity in disguise. That the black stag or white stag would be their totem. There's a there's a bit of a story that Anku, when he was a prince, liked to sit out on church. He liked to go. Maybe because he was a deity and didn't give a shit. But every parish in Brittany is said to have its own Anku. So theoretically, all of these origins may have like one or all of them. If every parish has one, debatable. In Breton tradition, the spilling of railway wheel out by the hall is supposed to be Karagel on Anku or the wheelbarrow of Anku. It's basically how you know it's outside. Similarly, the cry of the owl is referred to as Labu on Anku or the death bird. The Anku is also found on the baptismal front at La Matre. Oh, sweet for you guys. <laughs> Where he is shown holding a human head. Fun. In Ireland, there is a proverb that when the Anku comes, he does not go away empty. And he doesn't. If he's leaving to collect, he is going to collect. If you hear Anku's cart, the thing to do is hide. But should you actually encounter him, it's crucial not to look him in the face, the sight of which may cause instant death. So if you hear the squeaky wheels, get the fuck on and don't look at him. Or else he's taking you to. The Welsh have some spectral hounds called the Hounds of Anun. And Anun is the Welsh Otherworld. They belong to Aron. I have translations for you. I'm just making sure. (laughs) (laughs) Aron is the Lord of Anun. And sometimes he sends out the pack alone, but they also travel with him, especially when he is the leader of the wild hunt. The hounds leave Anun for various reasons. To foretell or announce death, to retrieve or escort escort souls to Anun, and to reveal or consume corpses. Post-Christianity, the hounds were reclassified as hellhounds, but Anun is more accurately described as a paradise. It isn't a place of punishment. So... That would be inaccurate. The hounds are described as shining white with red ears. Other sources describe them as small, speckled, grayish red dogs. Hypothetically, they may be accompanied by the Lord himself or on their own. The dogs. So next up we have the Grim Reaper. The most... There are two very modern incarnations of sickle pumps on this list, not counting Keros. But I mean him too. But the Grim Reaper is sort of when you think 
that's gonna come and come get your soul. That's who you think. And he's just based in medieval mythology. He doesn't really have a root or a place of origin. At some point, this idea grew legs and, and ran. He is frequently personified death. In some mythologies, the Grim Reaper often depicted the rope skeleton causes the victim's death by coming to collect a person's soul. Other thieves hold the specter of death as only a stigma, and he does not take your life to take your soul. He only kind of the afterlife. And he does not have control over when or how the victim dies. He literally just comes sketchy. You be the judge. Death is most often personified in male form, although in certain cultures, such as in Italy, in Spain, and in France, it is not uncommon for death to be considered female. In Western Europe, death has commonly been personified as an animated skeleton since the Middle Ages. This character, which is often depicted wielding a scythe, is said to collect the souls of the dying or recently dead. Just happens to be in English and in German cultures, male, other cultures, female. Sometimes. The character of death became known as a Grim Reaper in English literature in the late 1800s. The earliest appearance of the name Grim Reaper in English is in the 1847 book, The Circle of Human Life. Even though, like, European society was predominantly Christian, you could kind of see that as things sort of falling away to Christianity and the Grim Reaper being very secular. A sycopomp with no jurisdiction just coming to get you. A skeleton. Thanks. Spooky, scary skeleton. Next, we have Lord Agwe, who is the Loa king of the Lord Agwe is a military spirit a stickler for protocol and procedure. So, you salute him. You are not informal with him. You call him Lord Agwe, or Admiral Agwe, or at the minimum, Sir. He is married to the mermaid, La Serene. That's how I'm going to say it. I don't speak French or Creole, but that literally translates to the mermaid. Siren, hello. Sirens weren't even mermaids, they were bird people, but then they became mermaids. Listen. <laughs> Lord Agwe serves as a stick pop, leading souls to Ginnin, or Gainan, the voodoo realm of the dead, which is beneath the sea. So we have three options here. You have a dog, you have a bird woman, you have to go under the water. <laughs> Because Mananin was also Tiamat. You only have three options. Mythology said the dog, it's a bird. You gotta go underwater. You gotta get in a boat. <laughs> At least. <laughs> At least you have to get in a boat. Lord Agwe arrived in haste with his enslaved Dahomey, the devotees. 
Those who arrive safely are considered to have done so via his graves. Many victims of the slave trade were brutally tossed overboard during the voyage. Lord Atwood was there to guide them to the realm, hence being a sickle pump. You literally, you literally threw them in the water. He is of the water. Uh, what was he supposed to do? I don't know if he wanted to be a sickle pump, but think about how many people drown. He's probably taken a lot of lives on accident. Oh, God. Like somebody just throwing somebody overboard and I was What the fuck is that? <laughs> Lord Agwe is usually envisioned as a fair-skinned black man with sea-green eyes. The eyes are his identifying feature, no matter how he manifests. The eyes, very vivid sea-green. He's usually dressed in uniform. His rank is admiral, but he may also manifest in the form of any creature of the theme. And I also think it would be likely that whatever your culture is, he he's either wearing the Dahomean naval uniform, or he's manifesting in a in a naval uniform you would recognize of your people. I assume that's his choice, but also a catfish. No, they're not in the sea. Those are not a fish. A lobster. <laughs> or a shark. Oh, God. Maybe not a shark. Okay, um, a whale. <laughs> not a shark. Please, not a shark. <laughs> There's also Simbi, who is a Loa master of all magicians. Now... Simbi is a large, diverse family of serpents in ancient voodoo and voodoo traditions. I am talking about one specific Simbi called Simbi. Simbi mm-hmm. <laughs> is a water snake spirit who represents magic. He is a master level magician and can bestow magical ability, clairvoyance, healing abilities, etc. Simbi is also among the spirits invoked by secret societies. He can be petitioned to contact the dead and is sometimes serving as a sycophant, especially for deceased shaman and occultists. Simbi is usually a snake, but he is a great magician and shapeshifter, so he can take any form he wants. Now, Simbi tends to be a small to medium-sized snake, not a huge snake. Water snake. Like actual, probably actual-sized water snake, not a big snake. I don't really want to see any snakes, but that's fine. No offense in me. And there's also La Seren. I just told you about her a little bit. Married to Lord Agwe. She also serves as a sickle pop. And she is a beautiful classical mermaid with long talking she holds a mirror, which serves as a threshold or port between realms. La Seren has a better reputation of being a big nothing, taking them to live with her in the undersea palace. 
ominous image, as in voodoo cosmology, the realm of the dead is beneath the sea, as I told you. So, it is liable that La Sirene may rule a children's realm of death. That she's not a baby snatcher, but she is a baby's pickle pop, which is sad. I mean, I guess someone has to, but sad. She is sometimes depicted in romantic embrace with Scooby, even though her husband is Lord Agwe. We got a little thing going here. They're all sickle ponds. They're all in the water. She's sleeping with both of them. La Sirene is a beautiful, long-haired mermaid. She may be unable to walk because of the fishtail, or alternatively, if she sprouts human legs, then she walks on her toes. We have two more. We have one more culture. Two more sickle palms. Success. <laughs> we have Shaloro, who in Aztec mythology was a god of fire and lightning. Shaloro was a dog-headed man and was a soul guide for the dead. He was also god of twin monsters, fortune, sickness, and deformities. Shalotl is the canine brother and twin of Quetzalcoatl, the pair being sons of the virgin Shimama. Yeah. That's how it's being said today. <laughs> he is the dark personification of Venus, the evening star, and is associated with heaven's fire. In Mesoamerican cosmology, when someone dies, a spirit dog is expected to appear to lead the soul on the lengthy journey to the realm of death. And Shalotl provides that journey. He may have manifested as a man, a skeleton, a dog, a man with a dog head. Whether dog or man, one ear is usually wagged like a dog with sores or a constant ear infection. Hence the deformity thing. And his face is deeply furrowed. He not happy. I mean, he's probably okay. He doesn't look happy. And another modern incarnation of a sycopomp is Santa Muerte, who is important in Mexican neo-paganism and folk Catholicism in Mexico. She is, a, uh, she is a personification of death that is depicted as female, predominantly. There are few. I remember the wiki having like three. <laughs> Whatever. She is associated with healing, protection, and safe delivery to the afterlife by her devotees. Despite condemnation by leaders of the Catholic Church and more recently, evangelical movement, her following has become increasingly prominent since the turn of the 21st century. Originally appearing as a male figure, Santa Muerte now generally appears as a skeletal female figure clad in a long robe and more objects, usually a scythe and a globe. Her robe can be an ev of any color, as more specific images of the figure vary widely from devotee to devotee, 
and according to the rite being performed or the petition being made. The cult of Santa Muerte began in Mexico sometime in the mid-20th century and was clandestine until the 1990s. Most prayers and other rites have been traditionally performed privately at home. At the beginning of the 21st century, worship has become more public, especially in Mexico City, after a believer called Enriqueta Romero initiated her famous Mexico City Shrine in 01. The number of believers in Santa Muerte has grown over the past 10 to 20 years to an estimated 10 to 20 million followers in Mexico, the U.S., and parts of Central America. Santa Muerte has similar male counterparts in the Americas, such as the skeletal folk saints San La Muerte of Paraguay and Rey Pascual of Guatemala. The cult of the Santa Muerte is the single fastest growing new religious movement in the Americas. Unlike other saints who originated in folk Catholicism, Santa Muerte is not herself seen as a human being. She's a skeleton. She's been a skeleton. Santa Muerte is a skeleton dressed in female clothes or a shroud, carrying both a scythe and a globe. Santa Muerte is marked out as female, not by her figure, but by her attire and her hair. The latter was introduced by Enrique de Romero. So, it is not that the skeleton is a lady, because it's a skeleton. It, it wears lady clothes. So it's a lady. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what I have for Sickle Ball. I was about to say, you tired? Yes. <laughs> I tried to, like, do, like, let me do one from each culture. And then Greece happened. And I was like, I can do this. Stop. <laughs> Fuck, there just pick one. That I like, no. And then I had to make sure we got all the way over here to America. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, generally, I was like, a Grim Reaper is, like, what most people are going to be. Unless you believe in something else. But, like, just like a flood and like other things. It's very interesting that it's generally a dog. Maybe see, maybe bird woman, but a dog in most cultures. Which is interesting seeing as everybody, not everybody, but most people love dogs. Well, I kind of think, I was thinking that's probably why. Yeah. Because I might follow a dog. A dog would bring me more comfort than a person. Or a bird woman. Or a bird with a woman face. <laughs> Definitely more than a bird with a woman's face. I don't know what Rush is on. I don't know why she's a bird with a woman face. I not mean, a woman head. Russia not also a woman with bird features. A bird with a woman face. I mean, to be fair, Russia also has the Baba Yaga. So. Yeah. Oh god, that's how you talk about her. <laughs> Russia has a lot going on over there. Everything wants I just to kill a... you or eat you, so. Straight up. I just thought it was interesting. I got all the way to Aztec mythology and it was still a dog. <laughs> like, goddamn. It's just gonna be a dog. When you see the bright lights, no matter what you believe in, 
and you need to go and your soul is like, okay, this body is done. It's going to be a dog. <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's the collective, the unconscious collective. What the fuck, it, what the fuck do we talk about all the time? The collective unconscious. Yeah, that. Yep. That's what it but is. It's, I just, I just think it's interesting how, like, there's almost like not an outlier. It's going to be a dog, a bird woman, you're going to have to ride a boat, or it's a skeleton. A skeleton with a dog. I mean, and as I said, Hecate has a thing about dogs. She manifests as a dog. Hermes doesn't manifest as a dog, but dogs are one of his sacred animals, so I wouldn't be shocked if he just sent a dog. (laughs) To come grab your ass? To come get you. He was just like, follow said, the dog, I don't want to deal on. with Charon today. <laughs> I don't want to deal with his grumpy ass. No, literally. Do you have the coin? Get on the dog. <laughs> Ride the dog into <laughs> battle. Charon himself had wolf ears. And this was a tackle or a wolf. Yeah, why, why was... Wolves. What the fuck is that? Why was Dogs. Charon a fucking furry? I have questions. Is it because he had nothing else to do? So he was just like, yeah, I'll wear dog ears. I'll wear wolf ears. Is that why he's grumpy? (laughs) Because he's a furry. Because he has dog ears. So all the furries come to him. Hmm. Okay. No. (laughs) I like how we have Anubis and Charlotte, who both could even be a dude with a dog head. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah it's like, hey. mm. it's like mm, no granted I'd rather take one of them over the bird with the woman's face but yeah <laughs> or the skeleton or the skeleton I really don't want a skeleton <laughs> I really hope that's not it I'd still take a skeleton over a bird with a woman's face. <laughs> Almost literally anything over the bird with a woman's face. I'm going to keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't live in Russia, so I think you're safe. Same. I, I also don't have any Russian blood whatsoever, so. If you move to Russia, though. Don't say that. <laughs> Don't say that. I would hope somebody comes to get me with their dog. <laughs> Call they're, one of her Valkyrie friends. They're sitting there, they're like, like texting back back and forth to each other. They're like, ah, oh, she's been a loyal follower. It's okay. We'll send the dog. Send the hounds. <laughs> Jesus. Even in Britain, there's the black dogs I, I didn't talk about. Right. I was thinking about it from Harry Potter this whole time, to be honest. Yep. I don't mind the dog. As long as it doesn't bite me. Fair enough. Can you bite a soul? I guess we'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to find out. I don't want to find out because I don't want it to bite me. So what is your media? Media, media. Okay. I'm talking about Inception. 
since nobody's mentioned it in a really long time. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I, I just, I haven't watched it for fucking ever. Same. So, Inception came out in 2010. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it should have, but it did. Came out in 2010. Um, it's a sci, uh, yeah, sci-fi action film. And was written and directed by Christopher Nolan, who also pr- produced the film with Emma Thomas, his wife. Oh, who also produced the film with Emma Thomas, his wife. <laughs> I was reading those as like separate statements, but they weren't. They were the same one. Yeah. Um, it has Leonardo DiCaprio, who is a professional thief who, who steals information by infiltrating the subconscious of his targets. He is offered a chance to have his criminal history erased as payment for the implantation of another person's idea into a target's subconscious. The ensemble cast includes Ken Watanabe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marianne Sorry, the, my computer's like super far away, so I'm squinting at it. Um, Marion uh, Cotillard, Cotillard, that sounds like a horrible last name. Uh, Elliot Page, Tom Hardy, Dilip Rail, Celine Murphy, Tom uh, Berenger, and Michael Caine. Um, after the 2002 compile, uh, completion of Insomnia, Nolan presented to Warner Brothers a written 80-page treatment for a horror film envisioning Dream Stealers based on lucid dreaming, which just reminds me of Ronin again. Like, everything everything returns back to Ronin at some point. No. But it does. This reminds me of Ronin. Uh, deciding he needed more experience before tackling a production of this magnitude and complexity, Nolan shelved the project and instead worked on 2005's Batman Begins, 2006 The Prestige, and The Dark Knight in 2008. So, I don't want to read the whole plot just because for some reason when they write plot, they mean I'm going to tell you the entire movie, but... Literally. And it's like, why? Wikipedia, why? <laughs> like, listen, dickhead who wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be a plot, not the story. I will watch the movie if I wanted to read the entire story. Or watch the entire yeah. story. You know, you get it. But it's really, like, if you haven't watched Inception, it's... Pretty fucking amazing. Like, the graphics? Amazing. (laughs) Yes. So, I'll read, like, the first two paragraphs of this, because there's five paragraphs all together, and I'm not about that. So, um, (laughs) Dominic Dom Cobb and... What? (laughs) Dom... Is his nickname, but it's Dominic Dom Cobb and Arthur are. <laughs> that sucks. Sorry, Arthur. Are extricators. It's like when we used to talk about, like, Adam. Adam. You have all these amazing names, and it's just Adam. Blue and Gansey and Noah and Ronan and Adam. 
And Kavinsky and Adam. <laughs> anyway, um, Dominic and Arthur are extricators. They perform corporate espionage using experimental military technology to infiltrate their target's subconscious and extract information through a shared dream world. Their large, uh, latest target, Sato, yeah, fuck Sato, no, um, <laughs> something else, but anyways, reveals he arranged their mission to test Cobb for a seemingly impossible job, implanting an idea in a person's subconscious or inception. Sato wants Cobb to convince Robert, the son of Sato's competitor, Maurice Fisher, to dissolve his father's company, Sato promises to clear... I thought you were going to say Satan. You thought I was going to say what? I thought you were going to say the son of Satan. <laughs> I was like, what? We're... Uh, Sato promises to clear Cobb's criminal status, which prevents him from returning home to his children. Cobb accepts the offer and assembles his team... Uh, Eames, an identity forger, Yusuf, oh boy, a chemist with a sedative for the dream within a dream strategy, and Ariadne, an architect student of his father-in-law, oh, an architect student of his father-in-law. I was expecting the word her or she to be in that sentence, and it was not. Uh -huh. Uh, Professor Stephen Miles tasked with designing the dream's labyrinth. Area. Wow. I just. I mean, I thought it the moment I read Ariadne, but it's like, wow. You guys aren't slick. Ariadne discovers that Cobb's subconscious houses. And. Wait. Houses an invasion projection of his late wife, Maul. After Fisher dies, the team accompanies Robert on a flight where they sedate him into a shared dream. At each dream level, the person generating the dream stays behind to set up a kick to awaken another team members from the deeper dream. Wow, these sentences are not flowing. These kicks, <laughs> these kicks must occur simultaneously, despite time flowing faster in each successive level. So that's, that's the basis of it. They, it's dream, it's inception, it's dreamception. <laughs> it's dream hopping. It really is. And like, it gets kind of wild because you know how movies do, it has to. Oh yeah. But it's a very interesting take on lucid dreaming. I feel like sometimes spirit is playing games. <laughs> but that's what I have. What do you have? Girl, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a soul eater. <laughs> yes, tell us about it. Okay, I was going to talk about the group adventures of Lincoln Mandy. In fact, I was watching that. That's what made me think of Sickle Pops in the first place. But I'd rather talk about Soul Eater. So Soul Eater <laughs> is an anime and manga. 
because what else would I be talking about? It's set at a school. The Death Weapon Meister Academy. And there are children there that go there. A Meister and a weapon <laughs> that learned how to schools. So the man in charge, the headmaster, is Death, who is a Grim Reaper. That, I mean, like, he looks like, can you imagine Grim Reaper? That, except, like, cartoon. Until he has to fight at the end and then gets badass and then he, woo. Then he looked different. <laughs> so, this is about Soul and Maka. So, in order to make a death scythe, which is the goal of a Meister and its weapon, they must collect the souls of 99 evil humans and one rich in that order. If they fuck it up, it's invalid, and you start over. If they fuck it up, sucks for you, restart. Return to go. You apologize to all those 99 people you killed. Because you <laughs> fuck it. We're like, well, I'm going to revive them. You can apologize to their face because you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, first episode, Solomaka are right there trying to kill a witch. And they collect her soul. Only... And she's not a witch. So, we start to fuck over again. Right. She's just a, she's just a cat with an innate... with magic power. <laughs> Too much magic power. She stores in her tits, clearly. Which is bullshit, but, you know, nobody asked me. Which is, why does she wear a witch hat? Why does she, why does she... <sighs> You're bad with them. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Honestly, How is she not a witch. Not only that, but they weren't the ones who found her. They were just told to go right. kill her. So it wasn't even their fault. <laughs> Dead ass. And yet. Dead ass. And yet. <laughs> and start over. Fuck you. Start over. <laughs> Death might as well have said that. That's how we all heard it. <laughs> so, this is a lovely little anime with a, an ensemble, as most anime have. There's Soul, Maka, Black Star, Subaki, Death the Kid, Liz and Patty. Maka's dad is a death site. So it can't be done. We know it's been done. Her mother, gone. Mm -mm. Off on the wayside, who cares? <laughs> it's an anime. Moms don't exist. Right, they're either dead or they're gone. Maka's chose to be gone. <laughs> <laughs> She's Insane. a meister. She made a death site. He can't keep his dick in his pants. She fucked off. <laughs> That's a basic explanation. 
Simple and concise. I looked it up. <laughs> so the school in the setting is Nevada. It's the fucking desert. And Salamaca, it's a nice little story of them learning and coming together. Soul is a motherfucker. I love him, but like, damn. Shithead. Soul. Damn, stop talking about Maka's tits. <laughs> like, she has small, she's just, she's young. We get Why it. Why do we she's... need to talk about appearances? <laughs> we can't all look like Shiwaki. <laughs> we get it. She's part of the Itty Bitty Titty Committee. She doesn't need to be reminded every episode. But she doesn't. Maka is obviously filling really big shoes. Soul, in his way, is filling really big shoes. Because the death scythe is there in your fucking face every day. <laughs> You're just looking at him. He's looking you back, you can making one. comments. <laughs> oh, trying to kill Soul for touching Maka, even though they didn't like that. Trying to yeah. get him... Trying to be a dad, but he's not good at it. He's really bad at it. <laughs> Trying to kill Soul and then berating him for not being more of a man. Air quotes here. I'm being sarcastic. Stupid. Anyway. (laughs) He's dumb. I mean, I like Death Scythe, but he's dumb. So, Soul is a Scythe. Tsubaki turns into various ninja weapons. And Liz and Patty are pistols. Honestly, I want Liz and Patty. I thought I think I thought that from jump. I want guns. Like a scythe is badass, but I, I do kinda want guns. I think. If I were a Meister. I think I would want a sword if I were a Meister, to be honest. Oh. Oh, okay, but if you were a weapon, what would you want to turn into? Um Good question. Probably a sword. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. Probably a sword. It's the only thing I can think of. That's what I always wrote my my um, OCs with and as with swords. Whenever I was like before, I realized I was writing fan fiction. Self insert fan fiction. Well, not self insert, but OC fan fiction. Yeah. And then my brother was like, oh, yeah, this is what it's called. It's like, fuck you. Stop reading my shit without asking me. Wow. So the whole point of them making death scythes, even though they are multiple types of weapon, is to be used by death. You're welcome. Death the kid is uh, death's son. I was about to... S- I so just- he's feeling... Bro. Yes. And when you said that, I just... <laughs> had an image of Death the Kid fucking using a Soul Eater, and it never it never clicked. But that's who would be using Soul Eater now. I have feelings about that. I don't like... No, I don't like I the thought of that. that. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, now that Soul is a death site, who's using him? 
fucking death the kid who took over for death. This is, mmm, I, mmm. But you, that's weird because death the kid doesn't even need, like, he's so fucking powerful. He doesn't need a weapon. hope not good i hope he's like listen i know where where i'm supposed to be but i'd rather just stay with my meister thanks wait because you have to think there were there were four other death sides made by the end of the series so who does he pick? Does he just leave everybody else with their Meisters and use Liz and Patty, or what the fuck? <laughs> I have questions. I have questions and what I feel some way about them. Like? <laughs> what? I said, what does a soul taste like, you think? It's probably a texture thing. Probably doesn't taste like anything. Yeah. <laughs> like mochi. <laughs> Like, just mochi paste. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to know. Never mind. <laughs> so, I think so. I'll talk to you about it. Okay, I'll ask. <laughs> so, I, so uh, the whole plot, the whole... Well, uh, there's villains, there is a witch that we finally have to vanquish. We. That Maka and Soul gotta vanquish. I don't know who's we. <laughs> <laughs> like, I am not we. And there is a big, big bad, the Kishin, who is fucking terrifying. I was, he is, but I was like, Looking, I had, I think I got to episode five, like, rewatching it on Hulu, and I was looking, and he is one of, like, the thumbnails for, like, one of the episodes that he's in, and I'm like, mm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, I hate nope. it. Thanks, I hate it. There's a lot of historical things funnily enough in this anime there was like there was the black star going to kill al capone and shit and there's excalibur jack the ripper it's crazy what what temple do they go to is it king tut i can't remember i'm sitting here thinking about it they go to a they go to a pyramid there's also that ship they go to to right blackbeard i think yeah anyway there's some history in this anime it's weird <laughs> you don't walk into that thinking about it but medusa there's all yeah. kinds of things there's arachne yeah um we have we have a we have a gender fluid character in corona which right. honestly I don't think Crota woke up wanting that, but it happened. <laughs> but it happened. <laughs> well, I just don't understand why did they change his gender from he was he was a female in the manga, and then 
they switched his gender to male in the anime, and it just doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? It's not like Krona was acting as a, a love interest for anybody. Is it because you didn't like people shipping, like, people shipping Krona with Maka or Krona with fucking Death the Kid? Like, did you guys not like that? <laughs> they said, maybe if we turned Krona into a boy, they'll stop. No, that just made it worse. No. That doesn't stop us from doing anything. It doesn't stop us, nobody, from doing anything. It is a, we have here a shonen manga anime with a female hero. That was very important to Okubo. I remember reading that a long time ago, that he wanted to make Maka. Maka. Not a boy. A. Yeah, because there's no shonen animes or mangas with female main characters anywhere. I mean, there's more now, but... I can't think of any, funnily enough. But, like, definitely not then. The one that I'm thinking about... was from May 12th, 2004 to August 12th, 2013. So, she didn't have any company. Yeah. Maka's being uh, written in the days of One Piece. And Naruto. Bleach. And Naruto. And and Yu-Gi-Oh. And Prince of Tennis. She has no company. Like, anime and manga were just overrun with male main characters. Just in general. Yeah. said the series title Soul Eater was intended to refer to Asura and his desire to eat innocent souls and not to the character Soul Eater Evans. Uh. Okay, so interesting. Maybe, <laughs> so maybe don't. <laughs> so I absolutely I thought know. it was about Soul Eater's journey to become a death scythe. <laughs> I like how we both had the same thought even though we didn't say it. Like, I knew we were thinking the same thing. I'm like, um? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Why name him Soul that, Eater, then? <laughs> Why even Get take ass. the chance of people being confused about that? <laughs> Why did you name him Soul? Why did you name him Soul Eater? Why? <laughs> Why did you name him Soul Eater Evans? Like, you didn't even make Eater his last name. You made it his middle name. <laughs> anyway. Okay. <laughs> you could say that, but I don't believe it. <laughs> so, Soul Eater is about souls. Uh, in our in our episode that you just listened to, I didn't talk about Shinigami because the idea and description and concept of a Shinigami is way too muddy to deadass consider it a sickle pump. It is, but, like, it's, it's not. And I didn't want to sit there and explain it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a lot of things that are Eastern that we try to translate to the West, first of all, a Shinigami is rather modern. It's not very ancient. I think it's said around, like, I remember a lot of World War II references that maybe a little bit before, but it's not really an ancient Japanese thing, apparently. On top of the fact that Shinigami is, like, really hard 
divine. I did not put it in there, but you may consider a Shinigami a sick of home. Some people would agree with you. What we have here is some Shinigami. Harvests and souls. <laughs> well, Death. I guess it would the kid be... is still my favorite character. So. <laughs> yeah. You didn't yeah. ask, but he is. <laughs> yeah, he was my favorite character, too. Aw. It's just a psycho. Anyway. He, he is. But it kind of makes sense that Shinigami would be more of a modern World War II kind of, um, what's it called? Like it, like, it makes sense that they would crop up around that time because that's when Japan was starting to more open its borders to the Western world. And the Grim Reaper is a Western societal kind of thing. It, we'll get into that next episode because I'm not going to talk about Shinigami next episode, but it'll make sense. <laughs> yeah. Because... Death is also called Shinigami. He goes by both names. So, considering the fact that he is the Grim Reaper, dead ass, if, you, if I showed you a picture, you'd be like, oh. Ah. There you go. Ah. So that's Soul Eater. Woo. Watch it. I just looked at the clock and it said 1010. Hey. Thanks, Spirit. <laughs> some more. It's the second episode we've been talking about moving out. Oh, Oh, because why does everything go back to anime? Because. (laughs) Because we watch a lot of anime. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Mixed Witches Podcast. Or you can email us mixedwitchespodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Society6, which is also at Mixed Witches Podcast, or you can find our website, which is mixedwitchespodcast.squarespace.com. I hope you like this extra long episode, <laughs> and I hope you learned something from it. Dream interpretation and then psychopomps. There's a lot, lot to unpack with both of those, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hope to see you guys next week. And, uh, yeah. We'll see. What? <laughs> just, uh, just, uh, say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. When we were young, our minds were getting faded. Did not appreciate all that they created with. Chasing after that witch's brew Damn, 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 damn Thinking more, but doing less Keeping score, but failing at the test, y'all Chasing after that witch's brew Damn, 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 damn Chasing after that witch's brew You've got nothing better to do Cause you're sailing down Street again. Damn, X marks the spot, or is it O? Getting high.
riding, feeling so low, chasing after that witch's brew. Damn, 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 damn. Yeah. 